Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. What's going on, everybody? So this episode is an interesting one. I'm titling it Rep Life, but it, it really covers a lot of different topics. And so my guest today is Sam Mahmoud. Sam and I got connected uh, through LinkedIn, and you know we live actually very close by to each other here in SoCal. And you know Sam runs a distributorship, but then when I got to know Sam, there's a lot more to the story than just some guy who decides to run his own distributorship. And so Sam founded Surgical Republic, which is a completely bootstrapped uh, medical device company in SoCal. How is it a medical device company? Well, on one side, it distributes as a holding company in the neurosurgery, spine, and cardiothoracic specialties. What's interesting, though, is that Sam identified a need in the market and decided to manufacture his own high-end medical device, specifically a kerosin. And so he went through the whole process of finding a manufacturer in Germany, going through the FDA and bringing it and selling it successfully here in the United States. And he did all this before he turned 30. So it's, it's really, really impressive. The other side of it is that Sam actually is an entrepreneur who is launching a variety of different companies. One that caught my eye, which is called Better Mouth Tape. And to be fully transparent, I have no um, affiliate agreement with Better Mouth Tape. I don't make any money by promoting them, but I can't help but promote products and companies that I really like a lot. And so on the biohacking front, um, mouth breathing when you go to sleep is actually um, not just undesirable, it's dangerous. So when you go to sleep, a lot of people breathe through the mouth. And this is usually associated with sleep apnea, which puts people at risk for a lot of cardiovascular diseases. Plus it impairs and actually changes your cranial facial development in kids. Um, it causes tooth decay, a lot of bad things. The solution per Andrew Huberman and the and a huge majority of the medical community is to become a nasal breather um, as much of the time as possible and especially during sleep. So what people started doing is taping their mouth shut before sleep. Uh, but another solution that is additionally beneficial is to restrict yourself to nasal breathing during low to moderate intensity cardiovascular ex exercise. Now, there's a lot of different mouth tapes out there and I've tried a lot of them. The problem with a lot of them, either A, they cover your entire mouth, which if you're having a dream, you wake up in a panic because you can't breathe. Um, and the ones that do cover only part of your mouth that allow for lateral mouth mouth breathing during dreaming, um, they have weird gunk and glue on them. And so Sam founded this company called Better Mouth Tape uh, with a very unique design. And as a guy who pretty much develops medical products that are extremely high-end and US-based, um, it was a product that I trusted. So I've been trying it and I actually purchased a whole year supply worth of it. Um, so I highly recommend trying it. Uh, go buy a 30 day supply and try it out. So go to bettermouthtape.com to learn more. And um, yeah, if you give it a try, like let me know how you like it. And um, 
yeah, I personally, I personally have seen a lot of benefits from it. And I'm really, I'm really happy that I found a mouth tape that actually works. So with that being said, you're going to learn a lot about biohacking, about entrepreneurship and medical devices in this episode. Really loved it. Sam's definitely somebody I'm going to have back on the show. So if you're interested in me having him back, if you're watching this on YouTube or on Spotify, leave a comment below. Give me some feedback and things that you want to hear Sam come back and talk about. So with that being said, here's our episode with Sam Mahmood, founder of Surgical Republic and founder of Better Mouth Tape. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Sam Mahmood. So Sam's got a really interesting background. So A, he is a you know, he's in the device world. He is a distributor. He's founder and CEO of Surgical Republic. It's how we first got to know each other. He has a really fascinating story of essentially doing what, sorry, distributors, but most distributors don't know how to do, which is actually develop a really good quality product and take it to market. The other side is that he just started a new company called Better Mouth Tape, which has a really big mission around better sleep, biohacking. I'm a very happy uh, customer of theirs. And by the way, I just, you know, as I've mentioned on the LinkedIn post, even though there's some boomers who got really offended by it, <laughs> that uh, I'm not not a paid sponsor, not an affiliate. I, I just generally I really like the product a lot, and we've we've kind of hit it off. Um, big on the biohacking world, and we and we find out we're also both Iraqi. You know, like what are the what are the chances of that? You know, so Sam, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I, you know, I've been a huge fan of the podcast. You guys are impacting a lot of people in the medical device space, so. I'm glad someone's being the pioneer of this. Yeah, man, we got to make we got to make med tech great again, you know, so little by little. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe a good place to start is like for the audience who is not familiar with you, like you tell them a little about yourself. Like, who are you? What do you do? You know, how did you end up in this industry? Because I don't think anybody goes to college thinking, yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to medical devices after this. Yeah, for sure. So I went to college and got a degree. Um, in global supply chain and business strategy. And I was playing soccer in college as well. So I got a scholarship to go play soccer. And then after playing in soccer, I traveled a little bit to go try to play professionally. Was in the second division over here in the US, traveled a little bit to Europe, try to play. And as an immigrant um, coming to the US, so I'm, I'm first generation, my parents are from Iraq, as I told you, as you mentioned. And you, know, you either have to be a engineer, a doctor or attorney, right? Usually in our background, that's a very common type of a place you want to work in. And I wanted to go play soccer. I really did. But then there was an inflection point where I was only making, you know, contracts were offering me around 1200 bucks a month. And at some point, you know, your parents are not going to support you at all. And I wasn't being supported. So I had this inflection point to say, do I take this job at Edwards Life Sciences or continue trying to play soccer? And I took a supply chain role that lasted around six months of me controlling where all these heart valves went all over the world. And I saw these uh, sales reps call me saying, hey, where are my valves? You know, I'm I'm in need of these valves for my surgery tomorrow. And I'm like, well, they're just still stuck in manufacturing. We don't have these available. And I noticed how, you know, these, these sales reps were the ones making the big bucks at the time. So I only lasted in that supply chain job for around six months. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I got straight into becoming a, a territory manager in the craniomaxillofacial space. Uh, for like more like a more or less a fifth tier company that was not very well known in the space at all. And a guy took a swing on me in the sense we both had a collegiate athletic background. He he liked my resume in the sense that I, all I cared about was knowing that I can go make it. I can oh, like it. he he took a shot on you, right? He took a shot. Okay, on when you said 
I'm not going to lie. When you said swing, I was imagining because like med device is pretty, you know, like competitive. I was imagining that you're at the scrub sink. You know, somebody was encroaching on someone else's territory and there was a fight that broke out, which, by the way, I witnessed at a conference before. So I, that's what I thought when you said it took a swing on you. Got it. So he took a shot on you. I mean, same same colloquialism, but got it. He, he yeah. took you up for the job. OK, glad, glad we cleared that one up. Yeah, he took a, he took a shot at me and gave me the job. When there's a lot of people that were a lot more qualified than me, had sales experience. I had zero sales experience at the time. And I got I got into selling printed maxwell facial plates and screws, which is probably the most commoditized. Why do you think he took that shot on you, by the way? Because when I showed up to the interview, it was my fifth or sixth interview that week that I got shut down on. And then I finally just sat down in front of a guy who was a former ASU linebacker. He was a regional manager at the time. And I said, look, man, I don't have the experience here, but I know I can guarantee I can make this work. I just, I played soccer. I know what it takes to wake up at four in the morning and grind like no other and work till 10 PM. You know, as a collegiate athlete, play a little bit of professional soccer. I know what it takes to make it work. And I think he's just giving me this shot. And I just asked for the favor. And I think no one did that out of his five interviews that day. And he was taken back by that. And then afterward, he just gave me the role. And I started that week later and it was a journey. I mean, I, took on a role and this is the, the beauty and the not so beautiful part about working for a small company is there isn't that many resources. So you have to go and do the art of figuring it out yourself. So it's a hard knocks MBA getting in there, right? So I started a week later and I literally got thrown in a surgery within like five days of barely no training. And the territory probably only had like 80,000 of sales in Los Angeles, a very competitive market. And I took that 80,000 and actually dropped it almost to zero because I absolutely butchered my first case. No training whatsoever. There's a complex facial reconstruction surgery. And I'll never forget it to this day. Um, and then that sat with me resonated that I thought like my career in medical advice was going to go to shit the rest of the time. So afterward, I said, you know, I'm going to have to figure this out and understand where is the most leverage I can get from myself in a very saturated competitive space in Los Angeles of cranial maxillofacial. facial. So I just started penetrating just the neurosurgery market very heavily with plates and screws. Um, and I was able to build that up in about six months after that from taking it from 80,000 to zero to like 800,000 in sales. And I had this inflection point at the age of 25 where I was like, you know what? I was offered a to go in the distributor route, which is, I didn't really know what that was. I heard of distributors, you know, I guess they were able to carry multiple lines. And I knew at that inflection point, I was like, this is my time to become an entrepreneur. So I just took the leap of faith, never looked back and then started my distribution at 25 and then slowly progress afterwards, which I'll probably end in further detail in this conversation. I feel like that's a that's such a great time to make a make a decision like that because, you know, uh, at least a lot of the guys who I mentor and and girls, you know, they're they're anywhere between the ages of like 22, 23 to like 26. And then my biggest thing is kind of like this is the time where you should take like a big massive risk because like worst case scenario like you know you get you get a really cool story you know you you learn some things over a couple of years and you can go get a job but the other option is like your life changes you know and it, i think there's so many people who i don't do you feel like people when they're in their mid 20s they feel like they need to just kind of like stay the course and just kind of grind it out at things even if they don't like it versus and not do anything risky do you feel like most people are doing that a hundred percent you know it's you get in this routine where you don't really know um, where you're going in life because you're in this mundane, ordinary routine every single day. And then it takes some sort of like drastic shift to change your daily habits. And for me, I had this inflection point where I was like, I was working for that six to eight months before I became a distributor. 
just my head down and like everything was a blur if I look back at it. I was just waking up at five, getting the car, going after it. And I had like no business sense. It was just sell, 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 sell. But it wasn't fundamentally about like creating a business until the inflection point happened where I was offered to say I can go and become my own business, my own business owner. And then the decision I, the, the real framework where I decided to say yes to this was I thought about like, what do I want to be when I'm 85? What stories do I want to tell when I'm younger to my grandkids? And it was, I took this big leap of faith and I was able to go start a business at an early age. And then further than I was able to grow that into something much greater than what it is today and tell great stories from that. And I know all the self-development that I was going to get from doing that and all those you know, big changes I'm going to make in my life were going to be drastically important to my self-development. It's going to allow myself to go under through crazy duress, but then that duress is going to translate into probably the best experiences of my life because I look back at it now and it was the best decision I ever did because now I can handle high, high stress. I can handle things that many people probably can't because I've gone through those highly uh, audacious tasks to go and make sure that I can accomplish that. Um, and now today I'm you know taking on bigger roles in different companies and in my company today as well. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because like, um, I know I can, I, that definitely resonates with me because I remember when um, when I decided to finally, you know, I've been a, I was a, I was a wantrepreneur for a long time, and I tell people a wantrepreneur is pretty much which there's nothing wrong with that by the way, but yeah. it just means that you're still working a job, a W two job, and you're you're an entrepreneur at nights or on the weekends, you're a wantrepreneur. And when I finally decided to do it is when my wife was uh, three months pregnant. I had no, and I told you about this. I had no business. I had no idea. Like the first six months of me being in business was me just flying by the seat of my pants trying to figure out how do I make rent. And I think part of the reason was like, I thought about my son being born. And I was like, what am I going to tell my son 18 years from now that like his dad, I had a chance to try. And I was just too afraid to do it because like, oh, bills and health insurance and just like all the all the reasons you come up with uh, that not to do it. And I was like, no, I don't want to be that guy. And that's that kind of like motivated me. So it sounds like similar to you is just like, I mean, you're, you don't have any kids, correct? I don't, none that you know of, right? But, but your, your motivation was just like, you know, fast forwarding into the future and thinking about like, I guess it's, it's like Ray Dalio's, uh, is it, no, not Ray Dalio, uh, Jeff Bezos. He has a, like a reg regret minimization framework, which is just like trying to minimize as many regrets as possible. Was that kind of like the impetus for you to kind of start your own distributorship and say, ah, let me just go full force into this? Yeah, exactly. I knew I just wanted to make decisions quickly. Like, I didn't want to take a piece of paper, put all the pros and cons on there, rip it up into four pieces and like analyze each piece of it. I said, I'm going to go with my gut. You went with your intuition. A hundred percent. I think everyone should take big decisions like that because the more you tussle back and forth with those decisions, the more doubt you're going to have. But usually your gut is always going to be the right perspective of where you should make it. Um, so I, I totally think, agree. I think when you're making that decision too, like I was already close to doing a million dollars in sales at the time for one company. And it goes back to this framework that I have now is like build to the first million. And then train, if you're going to build something else, then go to again, then go build another product to another million. Don't go so laterally and build a hole 10 feet wide and two inches deep. Try to build a hole two inches wide and 10 feet deep to then allow yourself to have a lot of leverage in what you're doing. So I had an unfair advantage in neurosurgery. So right then and there, I said, okay, let me take my second product line to parlay that into the neurosurgery field. And that's what I did. Well, you know, so let me ask you this, because you mentioned, you know, when, when you become a rep, especially early on, like you are very heads down. Like I remember when I started, I was heads down studying inside out so I can just be the, the like undeniably the best at what I did. What got, what was it that got you to kind of lift your head up and the light bulb kind of go off where you said, you know what? 
I got a little bit of leverage here. I can move this to an adjacent thing and start my own 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 company. Like, what what was it that that sparked that? So it was a it was a time restriction for a perspective where I was not making money unless I was giving my time away during those surgeries, and that was very hard for me because many people I don't know who was listening on this podcast, but doing things in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco is very different than doing medical device sales in the Midwest or places that don't have a high amount of traffic. Can so you I, detail yeah, can you detail your day real quick just so that people can appreciate how miserable that is? Yeah, so I mean like, you know, 11 miles in Los Angeles can be like an hour and 20 minutes. So if you're trying to maximize leverage, how are you going to get to like five different accounts, you know, see 10 doctors in the same day versus like you work in tech sales, you're on the phone, you already met with 40 people in the last two hours by just banging out phone calls. And this is the part where I was just dying. You know, my body, I had an unfair advantage of being young at the time. So from like 24 to like 28, I was just grinding completely, even building the distributorship. I had the ability to just really push harder than others because of the physical and mental capacity that I had. But you reach this burnout point. And I was getting to that burnout point at the age of like 27, 28. And that's where I realized, um, you know, I have to create a lot more leverage in my life and being able to have sales throughout my business or my personal life to happen without me being um, and that's when i shifted the model and you know i read naval's book the almanac probably my favorite one of my favorite books to this day talks about the four different forms of leverage and labor leverage was the one that really really resonated with because the thing about medical advice is to, t to find the right labor leverage and the right person to work for you it's a certain avatar that's very difficult and that's not talked about enough because there's not many reps who you can find or people you can hire who can put 30,000 miles on their car, speak to a surgeon in a very egalitarian way, can cover surgeries and understand the OR mannerisms, and then do all that. And on top of that, we probably have to pay them anywhere between like 150 to 180K in California, just to make the numbers work. And versus like you open a McDonald's franchise, there's a wide abundance and array of people you can hire at 20, 15 bucks an hour, whatever the California wage is. And you have that pool of targeted people where you can scale a business so much faster. That's the downfall. Um, again, we sell high ticket items, like our average order value is anywhere between like ten dollars to $12,000 an order of what we do in the device side versus you're flipping burgers and selling something for 10 bucks an order, right? So pick your poison, but that's, the, that's probably the biggest challenge in my space today where labor cost is so high and these implants and, and devices have only gone down over this last um, couple of years. So sorry for my long-winded answer. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's a good point. I think like, um, you know, so uh, you mentioned you mentioned Naval. Um, so Naval has this interesting framework around leverage. I think there's like four forms of leverage. One, the first form was like labor. Second one was capital. And then the newest forms, the third and fourth, one is media. The other one is coding. Um, and I guess, I mean, for, for both of you, and I don't know about you. Do you know how to code? I don't know how to code. Not at all. I'm probably so, like very non-tech savvy. Yeah. So, so very, so like me, so like for us, like the, the, the idea is like media and we'll get to it like a little bit later around, around your new company. Um, but tell me a little bit more about leverage. Cause I think it's a, it's one of the more powerful things, which is if you sit down and think about leverage and by the way, I do got to give a shout out to him. Um, so Eric Jorgensen, who wrote the Almanac Naval, he actually came on my personal podcast, which, you know, it's sort of been inactive for a while now, but he came on like a few years ago during the pandemic, actually. And, um, for those who are interested in it, I should actually take it. He actually put together a, a, a nice course. It's like a hundred bucks, I think on leverage, 
Um, so if you just search, I think Eric Jorgensen and leverage course will come up, but tell me like, uh, like, how do you think about leverage? Like, how did you, like when you're, when you're in your mid twenties, that's kind of a unique thing to be thinking about is like, how do you leverage things? How, how do you think about leverage? So let me, let me resonate to the audience of how I did it towards medical advice. Um, so I, I first thought about leverage was, can I sell products without me being there? So sales would come in, um, at my own leisure and there's past that passive income quote, quote unquote term. So leverage for me is basically the measurements of units times velocity equals output. So if I'm able to have a lot of leverage on what I'm selling with the least amount of input I'm able to put myself through, that's a lot of leverage. So when we're covering, let's say spine surgery, for example, we have to do all these trays and have people cover the case. Those in my opinion are actually low leverage, even though they can pay back high dividends, they're low leverage opportunities because they're so chaotic. There's so many moving pieces to make the deal actually happen. Verse, if I have a single use disposable item that's being sold to an unbiased customer base where no one has any sort of resonance towards me as a, as a relationship to the sale, that's high leverage and I can multiply that effect. And then that's that where my mind started to think about, okay, how do I create more products in this avatar and this space and this channel to allow myself to grow passively with the help with a lot of leverage. Um, so I started learning about more, more about leverage when I was around 25, 26. You know, my first investments got into heavily into real estate in California, where a lot of people told me not to invest in. I started taking all my dividends and putting it into that and built a real estate portfolio now. Um, so I just wanted to make sure I had all these sources of income coming in outside of just me being there and creating income during the hours that I was working. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting me mentioning that. Like, I think, you know, this is the one thing that uh, one of my more, I think, I know it's a top 10 episode. One of the, like, so now by the time this episode comes out, we'll be over 90 episodes. One of the more popular episodes I did is like, one is what you should be doing with your wasted time as a rep, like in between cases. And then the second was like how to have side hustles, you know, for a lot of reps, um, you know, they have a lot of downtime. Um, one of the things I recommend is like, if you enjoy talking shop, like sign up with guide point or third bridge or any of these management consulting firms where you can get paid per hour to just do due diligence, like on an investor call. But like for those who are wanting to like leverage their time a little bit, like what are some easy ways for them to start doing that or at least thinking about it? I mean, as a rep currently, as like a W-2 rep? Yeah, as a W-2 rep. For sure. So what I would say is reverse a dream outcome of what you want your life to be first and foremost. Um, and if you're able to reverse the outcome and know what that really looks like and you know where you, the directory of your life is going to happen, find what path of a side hustle that's going to be. So for me, it was you know, learning more about real estate. You know, you start hearing that real estate is a great asset to invest in. So for me, I, I took a lot of due diligence in understanding tax law because I found that tax laws is like the game of monopoly. We play this game, for example, when I was a W-2 rep for a short period of time and getting commissioned, the commission and the California tax is actually taxed the most. So I'm like, as a W-2 tax, why am I actually uh, focusing on being a rep as a W-2 and that's commissioned the most? So then I started learning about the different forms of, of tax law. And I said, okay, if I can start investing in real estate and understanding the dividends of that, that's a better use of my time and high form of leverage from being able to understand that model. So I put a lot of effort in understanding real estate. Um, I highly recommend people understanding real estate because it's probably the only asset class that gives something called a bonus depreciation or cost segregation, meaning that all the depreciation you're doing towards the asset that you're investing in and putting all the renovations towards and go against your active income. That's a, the highest form of leverage in today's world that's not really talked about. So I, I, I took a huge effort into doing that. 
it's probably been the best investments I've done thus far and allowed me to retain a lot of my wealth. Um, so I think that's, that's one place you can look at. Another thing you do is just invest in education. So if you want leverage, like there's Alex Ramosi talks about like ignorance debt is like invest in something that you want to know more about because what you don't know is costing you a lot of money today. So any sort of education that you are unbeknownst to, I would highly invest into that. And a lot of it is a school of hard knocks. In, in the sense I say that is like, you don't need to go spend thousands of dollars on some course. A lot of it is like free education. You can get on YouTube, listen to someone like yourself. There's so much abundance. Completely of, agree. Yeah, there's Completely so much agree. of information out there. And, and you look, you know, like I'll, 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 you know, cause it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a, a sensitive topic for me. Well, it's not sensitive. There's so many reps who complain and and moan all the time about like, I want to make more money and everything. I'm like, oh, what are you doing about it? So granted, like, you know, I have my own like courses and communities. They don't have to do that. There's a lot, man. The first thing I always ask reps when they're like, I want to get better at selling everything. I'm like, well, did you, have you listened to like, you know, how many episodes of my podcast? Are you they're like, oh, a couple. It's like, well, have you listened to other podcasts? No, it's this and that and the other, you know? There's another rep who was like, uh, who sent me a message like, "Hey man, Alex Ramosi just gave away like, uh, like every the whole the whole playbook for free and blah blah blah." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I was like, "So uh, did you go through it? Have you read it?" And then he's like, "No, no, I haven't." I'm like, "Did you read Hundred Million Dollar Offers, which has been out for you know a couple of years now?" He's like, "No, I haven't done any of that." I'm like, "So what, what, what are we talking about, man?" I think this like you know in today's age between the internet, YouTube, and ChatGPT, there's just like there's no reason not to be ignorant about anything, you know, there's no reason yeah. at all. It goes back to the saying of like permission, le permissionless leverage. Like those are the two forms now that where, you know, there's these creators out there who are creating permissionless leverage for themselves. They don't have to ask anyone to go create content. They don't have to ask anyone to put a post out there and monetize that, which is a new era that we're really going through right now. And I think, you know, understanding the trends of different monetization structures as a current W2 rep, and how to monetize that in the best way possible is just learning where the trends are going. So like there's a huge effect of people being able to make content to create uh, a monetization structure through their business. If you're able to put time into understanding how to do that, there's huge value in doing so a lot of time and effort, but there's, you know, you're obviously making great case out of that to be able to put high quality content out there and it's serving you as a great business for you. So that's another form of leverage that people just aren't taking huge consideration into. I think, yeah, and I think one of the other other things, like just for reps, like, you know, I kind of, I mean, it took me moving to Silicon Valley to realize this was, um, actually, no, I, I lied. It was before then. Uh, but just getting plugged into the entrepreneurial, like, uh, community, I kind of realized I'm like, you know what, I'm a W2 employee, but like, I should just use LegalZoom and set up my own LLC. And even if I go like negative in it, I can write everything off through it. So a lot of my early education, um, coursework, uh, uh, coaching that I got, I just started LLC and then, you know, it was not profitable first couple of years, but I got a great return back, you know, because I was like putting everything through there, you know, and that didn't take like, I didn't pay, I didn't have to pay thousands of dollars for a course. I literally just was curious and I looked up on YouTube and somebody talked about it and I was like, oh, like, yeah, why, sh why am I not writing things off through a business entity? You know, 100%. You know, I, if you read the tax laws and going back to this, there's such good advantage of understanding how the game is played because the game of entrepreneurship is, is purely just a game. And there's rules written out there that allow us, if we read the rules, the game can be a lot easier. Just 99% of us don't read the rules of how the game is played. 
Um, so when I started transitioning from being a W2 to an entrepreneur and running the distributorship and then the manufacturing part of our business, you know, there were such huge benefits of understanding all the tax laws that really started advancing my mindset of like, okay, now I can start developing other businesses because I know the tax laws very well. And that has really, that has really scaled like my way of looking at business today. Yeah, no, I know a hundred, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, I think, you know, I love reps. I like in this industry, I really love reps just because it's a hard job. And then unlike like, I don't know, tech sales or anything else, you know, we we're selling something that's going to have like a tremendous impact on somebody's life. Right. And it is a hard, like I challenge anybody, find me a harder sales job than being a medical device rep. Um, but a lot of times I feel like reps don't want to help themselves out and they get really lazy. Like they kind of, they almost put, you know, somebody told me this when I started on my career, which is your career growth is not your manager's responsibility. And and the moment that I accepted that, because I, I started as a rep and I kind of expected like my company would invest in me or like my manager will do this and that. And the day that I accepted the fact that like, you know what, nobody cares. Nobody cares whether, you know, like if you're doing a great job, nobody's going to wake up and say, oh, you know, what? we should pay Sam Mahmoud a little bit more money. He's doing a great job. Like, nobody's going to do that, you know, and, and it's kind of like, at the end, if you if you don't like if you don't like this this is a, another hard truth. Actually, there's a few people who who like were very early into my program. And they said like this like one ad like supposedly struck a tone with a lot of people, which is if you don't like the numbers that you're in your bank account, if you don't like the life you're looking at right now, the only person to blame is yourself. That's it. For sure. You know. You know, if I was going back, if I was a rep today. The most important thing I would focus on on like helping my career growth the most is just understanding how well you can get at allowing physicians to say yes to you. And I say this with great context in the sense that if you can get someone, a physician to say yes to you, to use your product on their patient and do that over and over again, imagine what you can do with, with a, a higher leverage opportunity. Imagine you start raising money. Imagine you start In a less regulated area. <laughs> yeah, or investment banking. And you start having bigger people that write bigger checks to say yes to you. So the most important thing, and if you can get physicians to say yes to you, like heart surgeons, neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, these guys are very critical. They they look at your product. They have so many questions. If you can combat all those things and allow them to say, I want to use this, and you convince me to do so, you should pat yourself on the back because that's not an easy thing to do in today's world. Like you're not selling a car. You're not selling jackets whatsoever. You're selling a clinical product that's going to be used in someone's life. Like I, I saw over a 1,000 brain surgeries where I actually – but new product that had just been released to allow brain surgeons to use their product. And I was like on the forefront of that aspect with these smaller mid cap companies that I was working with a much tougher sale. Like I never got to work for Stryker or Zimmer or big, big companies. A lot of my experience was working with very small mid cap companies. So my sales game had to be much more on point because I wasn't giving the keys to the contracts at all. I wasn't giving access to all these surgeons. I had to go try three or four times harder than most people because I had to first convince the surgeon to try a product he probably never heard of. And then he had to go ask for it to go get in contract. Those two components and, and then fulfilling that whole cycle, I mean, it came out with a bigger dividend than working for a bigger company. But if you can do that right now at a younger age, I highly recommend just focus on doctors saying yes to you with whatever you're selling and just multiply that effect as much as possible. I I, th I think that was so well well said, and I I wholeheartedly agree with that. And again, like this is the part where I talk to reps. I'm like, you know, what you do is really hard because again, look, I went to I actually went to medical school, and it's still hard because you're dealing with bot. I don't think there's another industry where you're dealing with a customer who's so much smarter than you at the, at at what is being solved. Like, 
I could go work for a software company and sell to like a Fortune 100 CTO or CMO or whatever whatever I'm selling. To. And in some way, I can kind of understand and relate to them and and be able to. But selling like selling a product to a surgeon, like you 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 know like that, nothing's more difficult. And, and you have a great point there, which is like if you're able to engineer and figure out how to get somebody to commit and say yes and change their behavior, that lesson and learning can be applied in so many places. And again, I love the way you put it, which is like. Figure out how do I apply that in other places where the checks are bigger. hundred um, percent. Something I, I want to I want to dive in a little bit into the story because like this is where um, and I'm going to blame you by the way because like you're you're a very very humble guy and so you don't you don't do yourself uh, enough credit for how remarkable your story is. But one of the first things that like caught my attention when you and I first met we we talked was you know you're a distributor but you identified a need in the market and then went overseas to manufacture your own medical device, got it approved and started selling it, which, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, that's how a lot of distributors started. But 20, 30, 40 years ago, the game was different. Look, 20 years ago, I was able to walk into my dad's uh, hospital he practiced at, go to the OR, wave to the front desk, be like, hey, I'm Dr. Khatib's son, 14 years old. I'm just going to go put some scrubs on. I'm going to go hang out in the OR. Oh, yeah, no problem. This different game back then, but you did this just a few years ago. So tell me right. about this, the product Surgical Republic, like started manufacturing. Like, how did you identify it? Like, I want to hear this whole story. For sure. So we got pretty heavy in, in selling a lot of spine implants. You know, that started to grow a lot in our distribution part of our business. Um, and then as we started to grow, consolidation started happening in these hospitals where they started limiting these vendors. And, you know, it went from like 15 vendors to 10 vendors. And again, I've always carried smaller mid-cap companies. I never carried the Medtronics of the world, the Zimmers of the world. So as I started getting blocked out of hospitals, doctors have been losing a lot of leverage in today's world of, of allowing what's being used in their surgeries now too. They're being told what to use. So then, you know, I was actually in, in a Kaiser account um, where I was down in um, sterile processing. And I, I looked at this guy and he's like, oh, we change out these kerosens. Um, you know, every three months. And I was like, every three months, like how many do you change out? It's like around like 30 different kerosens every, every three months. And I saw that as an opportunity right from the get go. Like I had this blink of uh, a light bulb moment. And I said, why? He's like, you know, all the kerosens that we have just get dull so fast. And then I've been in a ton of spine surgeries where the one complaint of every spine surgery is every kerosen sucks. So I took that as an opportunity. And I said, okay, well, let me just focus on making the best kerosen ranger out there. So I randomly was like one day on a weekend, it was a random Sunday, just started looking up, you know, kerosene manufacturing companies, um, all, in, all in Germany. And I finally got in contact with a couple of them and told them, hey, I'm, I'm coming out uh, next week. And they're like, are you set up as a vendor in the FDA? I'm like, no, not yet, but I want to come out and see this operation. I want to just learn this stuff. So I took a, float, I took a uh, flight out to Tulingen, Germany, met with like seven different OEM manufacturers over there. And I saw different product lines outside of Kerosene, but I had a huge focus on just mastering one channel, one avatar, one focal point, which was spine and, spine and neurosurgery. So then I said, I want to create my Kerosene to do this X, Y, Z, because I just took feedback from all, what all the neuro and orthopedic surgeons were saying. Well, everyone in SPD was saying that this is what's happening with their Kerosene. So then I said, okay, the only way my small company, Surgical Republic, is going to get in is the second they feel this Kerosene, they better know that this is like the best thing they've ever used. And I'm going to charge a damn premium for it because it's the only way that's going to allow me to have scale and margin to do so. So today I probably have like one of the most expensive carriages in the market. Uh, we've sold over a thousand thus far, just in 2023. We've done like, I think over 800 carriages thus far, which is pretty good for a smaller company like myself. 
Um, but I just added features to it and made it the Ferrari of Kerasins in the sense that like I put a silicone grip on them. Um, they're fully ceramic coated. They have a side ejector. They, they don't get dull so fast. And doctors notice that. So I just realized like if you just pay attention to little details and like I think the true wealth in life is the amount of attention you give to people. Because if I didn't, if I just didn't pick up those little things when I'm hearing that from surgeons, hearing that from SPD and all I was thinking about was like, how do I move more implants? I would have missed out on this opportunity of, of starting this manufacturing arm for my business today, which has been the most highest leverage that's probably happened to me thus far. Because instead of me serving, serving just Los Angeles, driving down, driving around Los Angeles with all this traffic, we service like 28 states now. You know, we sell, we, we ship stuff all of our different distributors. It's been a huge journey thus far. And now we've expanded much further than just Kerasins. We have other instrument lines. We do sterilization containers. And it's not a sexy model at all. Let me tell you, we run no ads, nothing. It's all through word of mouth. It's all through connecting with different doctors. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a crazy journey by just getting a product FDA approved, getting my company FDA approved to now sell all these products nationwide. Um, so it's just, just in around a five-year or four-year period, it was becoming a W2 rep to just a distributor to then now a full-blown company that is vertically integrated in billing hospitals. That's amazing. And and what's what's more remarkable, because like I come from the world of like high-tech capital equipment, usually first of its kind technology, usually stuff that's like really expensive, no reimbursement code, and doesn't even have a market. You so decided to sell a commodity product, but at a premium, which I love. I'm, I, I, my biggest thing is like, if you're going to sell something, make a really like high quality product and charge a lot for it. How, how did you, how were you able to find your first adopters for that? And then how did you, how did you work them to convince the hospital to buy this? You know? Yeah. So it goes back to this specific Kaiser account that said, if you bring me this type of kerosene, and if you say it performs the way you think it will perform, we will convert everything over to you. So I just had this opportunity. I had like one task to focus on Omar, right? And if you take that one task and put all your focus on it, and I, I look at this mindset as similar to my days in soccer. So a lot of us as reps or in, in, our, in our business, and I'll, I'll loop this all back around, we're, we're operating sometimes at like 60 to 65% throughout the whole day. I mean, we're just doing our work. We're in kind of in this mundane world. But in soccer, if you realize, like if you watch Leo Messi or Ronaldo, the best players, it's actually they're working in sprints. And when I say that is like, you're working in, in intervals of like 15%, it's just a slow jog, 85%, you're like fully sprinting. And that's how I take my business mindset as well now. So I said, okay, I have this 80, I have this sprint I have to do right now. And I have a short window to prove this before someone else takes this opportunity. So I better make it right. So I went and just went to Germany, got this product that I think was the cat's meow, let them do this big trial. You know, this Kaiser account had 14 neurosurgeons. I had 14 neurosurgeons say, this is the best thing you know I've ever used. I want to continue only using this. So that account gave me the multiplication effect to get a Kaiser contract, and then you know from then on we started selling a lot of kerosene within that GPO, and then that got word of mouth to other contracts, other distributors, and now we sell we sell a ton of these. That's 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 pretty impressive, man. And I think like it shows. I, I like that analogy too about um, about soccer because I feel like. The one thing I've I've kind of realized, especially like as an entrepreneur, is just like if you're a W2 employee, then like that's just kind of the nature of the game, which is like you're a cog in a machine, whether it's a startup or a large company, you just kind of like sit and just repeat the same task over and over again. In entrepreneurship, there are some like revenue driven actions. I think that's like I'm sure you, you experience that like 
at some point there are very specific, you try and delegate everything and you get to a point where there's revenue driven actions that you just repeat on a daily basis. And like your days are pretty boring, but then from time to time, there are certain opportunities where you just focus on sprinting and getting things, something done and shipped, right. And, and figuring out what those things are is kind of like, that's kind of like the, the skill set that you try and decide like where you should be really spending your time. Would you, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I think the biggest difference between the entrepreneurship route and then just a regular WT route is understanding if you're willing to sacrifice the lack of uncertainty throughout your journey and you're okay with going through that distress from internal not knowing what's going to happen next is definitely the biggest difference between the two because I know every every step I take now is, is like a chest move. And is that chest move going to pull the lever down a lot more than the last lever that I just pushed? And sometimes those are the wrong chest moves. Sometimes they are the correct chest moves. But the fact that I am actually doing the doing of, of pulling that lever and actually making progression and bigger audacious you know decision making in my life, because as an entrepreneur, I think the biggest thing we would focus on is just a level of decision making. The decision making of someone who works at McDonald's and decision-making that I do today, they're both decisions, but the level of extremity of those decisions today are just a little bit different. Mine maybe serves to a little bit hierarchy than someone working at McDonald's, but in our lives, like we just want to make sure we're making high quality decisions to get us ahead in life. Um, and I think now, you know, I focus on just high points of leverage to make sure that I'm doing a little bit less for more at everything that I'm doing. Um, and it's been just a huge way of just looking at perspective of life to make sure I'm building the life that I want to build. Uh, I'm not like the, the life of driving around Los Angeles every single day, being in traffic. It's, it's very hard um, to sustain that model. And I think it's very hard for many medical device reps to just go in the OR as a trauma rep or as any sort of device rep and just serve to your cell phone all the time because that distress has caused us just to not have overall high quality of life um, because, you know, we're so connected to these cell phones now. And this is why I kind of started my second company is because you know, I had a lack of distress in my life, you know, to build this type of entity that I built now, I had to sacrifice my body, my overall health to make sure, you know, I can sustain, you know, living in California in a comfortable way and make sure I'm growing my business in the right trajectory. And that came with like a ton of, you know, lack of health, lack of sleep, lack of a lot of things. And then now I learned these forms of leverage that really allowed me to scale my, my life, my business in ways where I never thought I would if I didn't make those big decisions. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because like, I guess like, um, I've always been into uh, like biohacking and optimizing my health for a while. But like you get, for some reason, some something about being in California, specifically SoCal, you get even more exposure to it. And just this weekend, I was at, um, I was at a close friend's home, um, who, let's just say like, he's an investor owns a hedge fund. So like, you can imagine, like the other people in this party were like, you know, balling out of control let's just put it that way but a lot of them like you know uh really wreck their health on the way there and for me like i really believe you can attain the kind of financial foundation you want the level of wealth that you want the business that you want but you don't have to wreck your health on the way there do you feel like i feel like that's that's something that um it's almost like a screwed up badge of honor that people have like like something that's really dumb that i've noticed like especially in medicine is this like fact that people brag about how how little sleep that they got and how they're able to function and i'm like it's like the dumbest thing it's like it's like you don't hear somebody bragging like man i got so drunk last night but i still drove home like you, you would but people but it's, it's almost like the equivalent thing of people saying like man i'm only i'm like i only need like four hours of sleep a night and it's just such nonsense like it's pseudoscience actually it is and you know the saddest part about it and 
you will resonate with this is how many physicians or surgeons at the age of 60 look like they're 60 today. And I, oh. I and I digress because I sympathize for them. I know a lot of them, like let's say in neurosurgery, you're going through, you know, eight years of residency plus a fellowship. You're on minimal sleep. You're under a high amount of duress every single day. And to be honest, like you're not getting paid for what you're, what you're worth anymore. Like a brain aneurysm is paying you $1,100 at night to clip someone's uh, aneurysm out and to only make that much money in today's environment just doesn't even correlate the monetization of what that sacrifice really comes down to of uh, what you're doing for patients' lives and then what that's doing to harming your actual internal body today. And I know I, I can't relate to that from a brain surgeon perspective, but even on our side as a device rep when I was running around, you know, servicing these physicians, you know, it killed my body, it killed all our reps' body and it kills reps today of how difficult this job can be. It's physical and enduring. It's not the luxury lifestyle that many like tech sales reps have to be at home at the leisure. Everybody's working remote these days. Bro, tech tech sales is a joke, man. I make fun of those guys all the like. Not just, like, can we take a moment? Can I talk some shit about tech sales? Let me just let me just talk a little smack about tech sales. Um, again, like aside from the fact that they work, they all work from home. Okay, on top of it, they don't own the full sales cycle. They got like an SDR BDR who's doing the prospecting and outreach. Then the AE gets on to do the demo. Most of the time, the AE doesn't do the full demo. They do like a somewhat of a demo, and then they have to have a sales engineer, which is a fancy of saying an engineer who knows how to sell, come on to do the more technical side of the demo. And then, you know, there might be even like some closing uh, members who, who help close it, like customer success and everything, versus in devices. And by the way, that's once this product is sold and everything, the, the AE has nothing to do with implementation, none of that. For med devices, it's like you got to prospect, you got to you know uh, close the deals, you got to demo and everything, and meantime you got your customer success because you're supporting these cases. Like it's it like tech sales is kind of a joke. Um, that being said, you know on the on the like hard life of a of a rep, we're not even mentioning by the way because again I'm a startup guy, so a lot of the a lot of people who are at striker and track they have a territory and they just stay and work within there. The people who work for startups are living out of a suitcase four or five days out of the week, and so like. When you're when you're on travel, um, I mean, you don't eat very well. You definitely probably have like you know a drink or so here and there because it's just part of the culture. All all these things just destroy sleep. And I think that I think you can you know. And I was talking to Doctor Jacob, uh, Paul Jacob, who is a, a orthopedic surgeon. You know, you have to be able to function uh, sometimes without sleep. Like it just it's just part of the gig. It's what you're signing up for, and it's it's a, it's a hard part to say. It's like either you do that. Or you extend residency in terms of the amount of years that you want to do. And nobody wants to do that. But I think that there's certain sleep hygiene you can have to just optimize to make sure that if you get only, let's say you're in bed for six or seven hours a night, you're getting like really as optimal sleep as possible. And I think there's a lot of people who get nine hours of sleep a night, but because they have terrible sleep hygiene, they're like, they might as well just be sleeping four hours a night, you know? A hundred percent. And I struggled with that completely, man. Like I, I lacked sleep for years. I think from 24 to 28, I was averaging around four or five hours of sleep. And I had the age advantage on my side, uh, which now today I'm, I'm 31. I'm still pretty young. But I take like my health probably the most important part of my life today more than anything, more than chasing any sort of monetary goals. Um, because it's the only thing we can really control. And unfortunately, like you know, I've seen people and family, friends who have died early. And you know, a lot of it came down to just not taking care of their health. So if that's the one indicative that I can control today, I'm going to make that a precedent in my life. So I, I decided to create a company around quality health and quality sleep because it was my own deficit. Um, and then that's why I created the Mouth Tape Company. 
Yeah, and let's let's talk about that. So the the company's called Better Better Mouth B E T E R. So what I mean, so let me let me tell let me tell you about it from my perspective, which is you know you're selling devices, right? An expensive high end product. So your care. Do you mind if I ask like your kerosene is like roughly what you sell them for? Yeah. And if you don't if you don't want to disclose that, don't you feel free feel free to say no. It's it's over twelve hundred bucks a piece. So all right, so twelve hundred bucks. You go you go from that to starting a company where you're selling a product that. A pack of thirty of your mouth tape costs how much? Around roughly, increases like twenty one bucks. Twenty. Okay, exactly. So, like, you gotta sell a lot of mouth tape, right? So, what, what, what was the motivation to start this company? And like, is it just mouth tape that you're focused on? I mean, we've we've had long discussions about this, but tell us about how this all started. And then, and I definitely want to talk. We we need to talk about some sleep science, you know? Yeah, for sure. So the the why obviously came from my own deficit. And then I started meditating like a year ago. Um, you know, I saw a lot of the brands out there. I just didn't resonate with. So I, I was trying every single brand out there. Didn't like any of the brands. Didn't like the design of some of the mouth tapes out there. I knew the science behind it after, you know, reading the book breath by James Nestor. And I didn't want this big piece of tape uh, on top of my mouth. I wanted just an anchoring device because the whole point of mouth taping is just put yourself in proper occlusion, which is like maxilla mandible coming together at night to enhance that nasal breathing. Um, so then I said, you know, can you, talk, can you dive a little bit real quick? Uh, why is that important about, you know, jaw alignment and, and keeping your mouth closed and nasal breathing? Why is that so important? The biggest thing is um, when you are mouth breathing at night or even during the day, you are weakening the throat muscles, which then causes you facial dysphagia. So I had the unfair advantage of seeing like a thousand of these like facial jaw reconstructive surgeries where we sold all these plates and screws for. And I would ask these doctors, like, why are they doing the surgery? Like, why do they have a recessed jawline? A lot of it can be hereditary. A lot of it can be from the adolescent uh, times of growing up, of poor malnutrition and it's, or genetics. But a lot of it actually happens through mouth breathing. And that's not talked about enough. And even during my time of like years of medical advice, like to this day, not many people talk about the negative side effects of mouth breathing. So I learned, I was like, wow, like, this is a huge like monumental moment and inflection point of talking a little bit more about mouth breathing and then how to enhance that through sleep. And like, what are all the benefits and negligence that come with mouth breathing? So that's the biggest reason is like, we want to make sure our jawline is strong. Everybody's out there trying to get facial, facial plastic surgery in the correct way of having aesthetics correctly. So you want to make sure you're nasally breathing because that's delivering oxygen to your brain as well. So if you're actually mouth breathing, you're losing like over 50% of nitric oxide developed in your body, which nitric oxide is like all the VO2, the energy you're getting, how obviously as a male, those are very important things just because, you know, if you look at what Viagra is made of, it's, not, it's purely nitric oxide to make sure you're sexually functionable. But these things are very, very impactful to overall health. So I said, if you can solve that organically through mouth taping, rather than taking some sort of external drug out there. There should be a lot more education on this, and people will be using this as toothpaste every night when they go to bed. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you you mentioned that because so it's, uh, same with you. Like I I got into mouth taping. Um, I saw like most people a trend on social media, and then I started off with um, you know I won't mention the company name, but like it's a good it's a good company, but their mouth tape like covers your entire mouth. Uh, but there are two problems with that that I didn't like. One is you know it's just more adhesive on your mouth, and like for me, I'm like whatever. I you know a lot of you had mentioned to me that on Amazon, a lot of mouth tape companies got shut down because they're using like screwed up. You know, this is the other thing by the way is like uh, I felt comfortable buying the product because you're a device guy, and so you've been through the FDA and everything, so like you know what it takes to manufacture like a good quality product. Um, the other side of it though is um 
what people so for me i i unfortunately i'm a light sleeper so i have to do all kinds of crazy things at night to make sure i fall asleep well if you have like i take magnesium magnesium gives you some wild dreams and sometimes when you're dreaming you have to like at some point breathe through your mouth if you got your whole mouth taped you what you wake up like like panicking like it's it's very it's very abrupt you know, and actually, I, I remember this Dave Asprey was the one who got he's the one who got me into mouth taping, but he just tapes like he puts a square right over his lips. And he's like, that way you can breathe through your through the side of the mouth. And I was always wondering, I'm like, well, you don't want to breathe through your mouth. Why would you do that? Well, it's because if you dream at night and you're having some kind of wild dream, you can't breathe. You're going to wake up like panicked, you know? Exactly. Like so you still, you still do want lateral access, which when I say lateral, like on the side of your mouth to be able to breathe if you need to breathe because it's intimidating mouth taping. If, if you haven't mouth taped before, it can look um, provocative. It looks, it looks scary at first. So the key aspect here is like, we want to create a design that is the most minimal amount of effort on your part for the most maximum result that you're getting for it. And that's why we created this kind of this reverse H-shaped design that just anchors to the top part of your lip and the bottom part of your lip. And then going back to your first question, like why did I decide to create the company? Why am I selling a, you know, thousands of dollars of, of medical devices to a $21 product is because it reaches a much bigger total addressable market. So just in under three months, we've acquired just a thousand customers thus far, minimal ad spend. I've shipped to 18 different countries. Um, at almost all, I would say about 950 of those customers don't know who I am. Um, so it's an unbiased customer base, which I think the quality of your business, if you were ever to be acquired or IPO'd, is based off of your customer base rather than the relationships that you have. Unfortunately, unlike the medical device or, base, or like likeness of image and brand, right? A hundred percent. But the customer base is probably the most important thing they look at during some sort of uh, acquisition if you're willing to sell. Because unlike my medical device company, you know, let's say a lot of it can be a very relationship capital. Like many people don't want to buy the business because th these surgeons are tied to me in the relationship capital that I've built. First, if I build a product on a subscription basis, on a subscription basis, let's say at twenty bucks a month, the cost of acquisition, let's say, is eight bucks to acquire someone for the lifetime value of a two hundred and forty dollar order times twelve, and you do a multiplication effect of you know ten thousand customers, you have a two million plus dollar business with very high leverage. So I said, you know, if I can focus on that type of model, and hopefully we're going to come out with one or two products here soon, where it's a sleep kit, you know, just for a dollar a day, you're sleeping better. And you're getting this cool orange box with one or two products every month as a subscription uh, subscription model. And if we can do that, I think we'll change the way, you know, how easy it is to have proper sleep and then how you're going to feel the next day. The reason why we call it better mouth tape is because we're focusing on the prospect of who the customer wants to be. And to me, that's always about becoming better. So if we can make our mission or premise about becoming better from the get-go and make sleep as a lubrication to get there. I know we have a business model and we have a mission where people will follow us um, and we will be a successful company in the near Nice. Nice. And so just a quick side note I want to mention is like for the reps who are listening, you know, you there's so many opportunities for you to learn. And again, just like there's nothing wrong with being a entrepreneur. You know, for me, when I started, when I left medical school and started off in this business, I knew that I would start my own company one day. I just didn't know when or how. And so I saw my W2 days as like, this is my undergrad. And so however I could, so for example, customer acquisition costs, lifetime value, all these metrics that you see in e-commerce or just startups, like you should learn them and then try and try and figure out how do you apply it? You know, for me, when I was, uh, when I was a rep, I couldn't technically figure out customer acquisition costs because I didn't know, I didn't have a marketing budget back then, but then I kind of like 
played around. I'm like, okay, like what if like my, if my salary is this much, I'm getting paid this much. And then I spend this much, like an hour a day driving around trying to find, like, then you can figure out like your hourly pay and you're like, okay, if I spent five hours this week, you know, that, you know, so you can, you can get more creative about this. My point is that, you know, a lot of things that Sam just said, if, if you don't understand it, like I would recommend like be a student of the game and go look the stuff up and learn like the one, uh, the one thing, sorry, and I'll, I'll finish my, I'll get down from my soapbox, but it's just, I really want reps to, if they want to make more money and they want opportunities, then it's all in front of them. It's like right there. Like, you know, nobody's stopping you from doing this. But the one thing I'll say is like my great late mentor, Chris sells, who everybody knows, cause I always mention him on this podcast and stuff. One of the best pieces of advice he told me before he passed was like, be a student of the game. Right. And, and Sam, to your point, like you mentioned it, like this game of entrepreneur, it's all game. You just, if, once you know the rules of the game, the definitions and everything, you can optimize it to your advantage and make more money. You know? Yeah. If, if you ever read the book, who not how, again, probably one of the best books I've read in, in my life, because you can't know everything. Like, let me tell you when it came to e-commerce and learning um, this whole new e-commerce game, like my background is I know how to sell. And I know how to invest. Those are probably my two strong points in the business realm. But I'm not a marketer whatsoever. I'm actually a poor content creator. This is not my this is not my forte whatsoever. So it was more of a who game. It wasn't like how I was gonna do it. It was like who's gonna help me get there. So you know, I brought in an advisor who's like my new CMO, CTO, who sold a company that's also a medical device. It was a planner fashion. He sold a planner fashion sock for eight figures. Um, and now he's joined on because he loves, you know, what I'm doing over here. It fits in the same avatar. What he did was a plantar fascia sock is still considered a medical device. He sold a podiatrist. We're, we're all, we're engaging with ENT and oral surgeons and dentists. And then it's still a direct consumer model. So like that whole fit made sense because I'm bringing an expert in a space who understands the areas that I am not wary to. Like I'm a product guy. I know how to sell the product one-to-one, -one, but putting velocity behind it with a marketing component is a completely different animal. So if I was a rep today and you want to start a company and you, you use the who not how model, I would allocate like a couple hundred bucks out of your check every single month and who is going to help you solve the unknown that you're looking for. And if you're able to utilize that, there's ways you can pay people hourly rate. You can buy courses. You can, you can buy different, very various forms of education to go talk to people in areas that you're not an expert at. And if you can use this model, you can grow in any realm that you want to do. Um, so I would just use that in advice for anyone else listening. Yeah. And again, like, you know, me, at least the way that I, I am, you know, I've, I feel like there's a, there's a better value. You have to look for it by the way, because I'll be honest, there's a lot of people who sell, you know, there's, there's a saying like, there's some books that really just should have been a blog. Right. And for me, there's like some, there's a lot of courses, paid courses that really should have just been a YouTube video. So there's, you got to look out for that. But you know, my, I, I gained a lot of value the moment I paid for stuff, whether it was like to get access to somebody, take a course, or even I think what's been very valuable for me is getting like, coaching from somebody to like understand like things of you know to shortcut my time um but again like to your point for a lot of the young reps who are listening don't don't go buy anything just go and search on youtube there are people who i mean like <laughs> kind of random but like martin shkreli who was on the show a while back you know he was everybody knows him as farmer bro um he the guy is like brilliant very very sharp when it comes to coding and investing and everything and he, on his youtube channel he has like what, what was it he had like an hour and a half long youtube he, has an Excel, he literally has a screen share of an Excel spreadsheet and he talks about how do you make a decision, whether it's a good financial decision, whether to buy or rent, 
You know, like so there's just a wealth of information. There's just like no excuse really. And and for the reps, I again, I'm I'm going to handle an objection. Reps who are like, oh, but Omar, I don't have time. Like I guarantee, you if I audit, if I if I get your iPhone and I look at your screen time, I guarantee you I'll find time every week. Like hands down. Look, Sam, w- when you were a rep, you had a lot of you you were busy as hell, especially in LA. A rep in LA or a major city. So where did you find the time to figure to study this stuff and figure it out? Did you do it on the weekends, night times? Like what when did you where did you find that extra time? Yeah, it's definitely weekends. And as you as you start connecting, the beautiful part about the medical advice world is you're connecting with high net worth individuals. So you start finding out what their hobbies are, whether it's golf, whether it's investing. And I actually connected with a doctor who invested in a lot of REITs, which is like publicly traded real estate investment trust. So I was curious about the real estate investing side and that that was going to be my way of, you know, creating more wealth for myself, for myself. And once I took the time on the weekends and just sat down and understand like, how do I buy, how do I buy my first place? Like when I was 25 when I bought my first place and I did a very unconventional route, which is in my opinion to this day is one of the best investments we've done. It was like, I FHA to fourplex, which if don't, people don't know that like your FHA is your, your first home that you can buy with the most amount of leverage, meaning you can use three to 10%. And you, and you don't have to put a lot of down pay. You can put like 5% down, right? Yeah. So you know, I put that down in a fourplex and sacrifice, you know, living in a fourplex, probably in an area that I didn't want to live um, for a long time, but you don't have to live there for longer than a year. But you get and you, so- dude, you, you weren't married with kids. Like you're, you're a single dude. So it's just like, whatever. Yeah. So like, you, you know what that beats? It beats living in an apartment in Brooklyn with like four other people. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So if, especially with like the beauty of the beauty of like California, New York, and Boston, you know, you have crazy inflation, and, and during inflation, the one thing that you want is assets because assets grow with inflation. So I knew that as like things were getting more expensive because you know it's so we're in the highest tax state here in California, and I wanted to make sure like I was moving with the trajectory with the pendulum. So when I when I started taking time on the weekends to learn about real estate, I finally just pulled the trigger on one property and then started buying more and more. And today we, we have a pretty large portfolio just in Southern California of all mainly multifamily. And the beauty part about this that everything circles back to medical advice is I went from like doing a lot of more long-term tenants to now a lot more midterm tenants where I actually went to the hospitals we as a company do business at and asked where they're getting their traveling nurses from. Give me the corporate agencies that were doing that. The corporate agencies and I, I, I had multiple phone calls with these guys. And some are you Airbnb being to traveling nurses? So midterm renting and Airbnb. So Airbnb, you can't do it. I love it. Can, can you define midterm renting? What does that mean? Yeah, it's 30 days or more. And it's a much better model than Airbnb because A, it's permissionless. You don't have to ask the, city's, uh, the city to give you a, per- a permit for that. You don't have to ask anyone. And there's different forms of way in doing and, and getting midterm rentals through corporate housing, insurance claims. Every three seconds, there's a flood in America. So there's always someone needed a new place. And then traveling nurses, there's uh, construction workers, so many different variants that you can find someone sustaining units. And it changes the cap rate, which is cap rate, again, a little food for thought, is the net operating income divided by the purchase price, which is what real estate is valued at. And if you're able to escalate that by higher rent rolls, you now change the value of your property a lot more than the fourplex or the fiveplex next door to you. So I knew if I can get creative by using my unfair advantage to work with traveling nurses, and I had to develop relationships with them in the hospitals too, and they live in my units, it was a win-win right from the get-go. So you know now we have a pretty large portfolio in the Inland Empire of Orange County, where a lot of the people staying in my units are people I actually know. So then it takes away the variable of like people not paying your rent as well, because these people are not going to screw you. 
Um, so it's been an awesome experience. Yeah, just just for people who know, this is this is the tough part of real estate investing is that when you use commercial real estate and somebody doesn't pay rent, padlock it the next day, no problem. But when it comes to residential, man, you can have somebody just squatting for months as you're waiting out in the court and you're just getting you're just eating it in the mortgage. You know, and California is not friendly about that at all, unfortunately. So that that's that's actually brilliant. Yeah, that's the way it made it work where 90% of people say like, oh, I would never invest in California, but I love doing it because I changed the model of doing so. So we want to continue to scale this way. You know, a lot of physicians have taken note in this and there might be maybe a, a fund or some sort of syndication we might do in the future in regard to this midterm model. Not, not to get, I want to, I want to stay on the, on the path of like the entrepreneurship and, and, and the tips and everything. And definitely we gotta, we gotta have you, have you back. Uh, but um, I'm wondering what your thought is. Cause I, I don't know if this is just like a, uh, False. I, I saw this earlier, but I haven't dug into it. Is it true that like State Farm has pulled out completely out of the state of California? And if that's true, like in terms of like insuring, uh, providing home insurance, if that's true, like what do you think that's indi- indi- indicative of? Because if there's one entity or two entities that they know everything about what's going on in the world, it's like banks and insurance companies. So what do you think that means? So the insurance premiums have gone up drastically for multi-unit residentials because they think that people are going to default in the next year or two. So that's a big reason why State Farm has rejected a lot of people's claims. And there's actually one of mine as well. I had to go find a different insurance uh, insurance company to go uh, on one of my five units. It's, it's very difficult to understand like where the directory of where real estate is going and where insurance is going. But the fact that insurance companies are backing out of insuring multifamily units or even single family units is a indication of where maybe the real estate market might be going. So it's to be, it's to be determined to be thus far. Um, where do you, where do you think it's going? I don't think there's a crash at all, to be honest. Uh, I think so. Just a food for thought. 35% of America um, don't have a mortgage right now. 45% of America are sub 4%. 65% of America, I think, are sub 5%. So when everyone has- What does that mean, sub four and sub 5%? Interest rate on their house. So, you know, in 2020, like rates are at 2.7, 2.2. Everyone refinanced and has a ton of cash sitting on that. So no one's bleeding. And we we had this high amount of of appreciation of all our assets too. So in combination of the refinance in conjunction with all the appreciation that's happened, no one's like forcing to give, give their home away. The, the one avatar, if anyone wants to buy real estate today, that I would focus on is the W-2 employee who bought a house, who maybe lost their job in the last two years, and then now has negative equity on their place, is probably the best person to probably pick something up at a discount. Interesting. And and is that is that mainly because of the fact that they, are, they have that W-2 income and they get approved for like a, a really good mortgage? So the, they, they probably did an FHA loan. And then they lost their they lost their job, so they can't afford that mortgage anymore. And they also, if they if they bought in the last two years or last eighteen months, they haven't seen a lot of appreciation because we've been in this halt period for growth within the real estate market. So those are the ones who are probably defaulting right now if they can't afford that mortgage, which means there's opportunity to take that um, at a discount. Got it. Got it. Interesting. It's good to know too. Is I mean, we'll talk more, but like, um, you know, me and my wife are actually probably going to be buying a place sometime before next May. Um, we really like it here a lot. But yeah, it's it's interesting because I own a house in Florida, and so like Florida's been a wreck because like we've there's so many insurance companies that are just like shut down. They're like cha- like my 
my home insurance company uh like changed and been acquired like i don't know like three or four times you know so you know it's do it too i mean i had my my mortgage company sell my mortgage off to a different bank you know you have to set that whole process up it's kind of a crazy it's kind of a crazy world but the banking system knows everything before we do right so you just have to stay on top of that yeah that's exactly that's it's one this is one of those heuristics of like how the world really works so it's like science medicine trends all these things um all that all that comes from a bank you know and i think a lot of a lot of what you see in in society today is kind of dictated by how much insurance companies are willing to like allow and and, and put up with it you know what i mean because at some point if, if the insurance companies and banks are not going to put up with it or bankroll it it's just going to end you know speaking of that like if we switch insurance to our our realm of the world of medical advice um this is where I foresee the the medical space and it's unfortunate, but I think this is my prediction. And after speaking with several surgeons about this, it's unfortunate how these, these reimbursements to surgeons are continuous, continuously going down. Like a cabbage is around $2,200, you know, as a heart surgery, you know, brain tumors around 2000, these things, you should be around like eight to 10,000, maybe like seven years ago. And can I, can I just add something? Not, I don't want to add insult to injury, but just like to really hit this home for people. Okay, so a surgeon, you said they do. They go do a cabbage. They go to get the surgeon is going to get paid twenty two hundred bucks for that, right? How long does a cabbage procedure take? Like an hour, an hour and a half? No, no. Okay, I mean like four or five hours. Okay, right. All right, so four or five hours, and then that's not to also count for the fact that they have this uh, period of like, is it like sixty days afterwards that the patient can't get readmitted? There's all this risk involved, right? They get paid twenty two hundred dollars. Yes. Meanwhile, I sell like my at the peak of it last year. Um, my course, my, my private course, which is like, it's all recorded material. And then I have a little community. I do like a live call once a week was selling for 3,500 bucks. Right. So like, that's, you know, like that's how, that's how dire things have gotten kind of in medicine. And it's really, really rough. Sorry, please continue. I just, I wanted to like put that for context as an anchoring point. Yeah. So going back to the insurance part, it's, they're the ones dictating where healthcare is going. So if you're in a space right now and understand like where is probably the best place to put your focus and energy into where I actually did it was like, we're the two entities that have the most leverage. And usually it was always cardiac and, and neurosurgery because they bring the most money to the hospitals, but the insurance companies are now dictating like what these implant prices can, can be charged for because they're the ones dictating what the doctors will be paid for and what they're willing to pay for our products now too. So if your product today is not considered a necessity, I'd highly advise looking into products that are more than necessity. And the mere fact that like these ancillary products that are like cool, nice to haves probably don't resonate oh, yeah. with hospitals because yep. during COVID, every hospital lost around $50 million. Um, so they're all trying to play this recovery stage. So like nothing to bash on like these nice to have products of lighted this. No, it's a fact though, man. It's a fact. Like if insurance does, again, if insurance is not going to cover it, like it doesn't matter how much the doctor likes it. They're just, it's just not going to happen. hundred percent. And that's like where you want to build your model and your funnel in a way that like allows scalability, knowing that like, you know, your product is going to have scale. And like the reason why I developed the Kerosene is like, first off, it's a mandatory plus of every single case. Second of all, it's a neurosurgeon or a surgeon who brings the, the most money to the hospital. Third, if, if the thing that they break down, the surgeon makes a fit out of it and they have to get new ones. So you want to make sure you're on the forefront of all those three things. And that's how I kind of build up products now that I either sell or create. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And again, this is where I'm kind of excited because because of these sort of things, it's really going to force uh, 
better innovation in our industry because again, like, okay, let's look at robotics. I love robots. I mean, that's why I built my career in. That's what I know the, know the best. But like, if you look at the spine world, I was part of the first robotic spine company, which was Mazor. Now it's a part of Medtronic. There's like eight or nine or 10 robotic spine companies and they all do the same thing for the same part of the case. And it's just like an incremental improvement. And so like, I think like companies who are going to like, again, if you follow the money, like investors are only going to invest in things that are going to have like massive paradigm shifting improvements, or it's going to be like a necessity where it's like, it's like, it's no more about like, if it's just a little incremental improvement, it's like, oh, this is nice to have. And no, nobody's going to get it. Nobody's, nobody's, and even, even, I would say even doctors to that extent, because it's surgeon, they got like one or two times every year or two where they can go and advocate for something. And they're not going to do that on something that's going to get disapproved or like, you know, add to the hospital bill. And they have to kind of explain that to the C-suite, you know? Yeah. I look at it like they have the revolving gun with like six bullets and that six bullets <laughs> probably last on a two year trajectory. So you got to make sure your bullet counts. Um, and this is like, kind of going back to this healthcare uh, industry and, and medical device, it's uh, it's unfortunate where insurance companies are going with the reimbursement and where labor costs is going up. And at some point there's going to be an inflection point where those things are not going to make sense. So what's going to compromise? And I think once something starts compromising, which is probably the quality of talent of, of service giving to the physicians and the hospitals, I think a pendulum switch will start to happen one more time um, because we haven't seen that yet. Like I think the bigger companies can afford having market share and paying people less, but then you're going to get less quality talent rather than the guys who've been in this space for like 15, 20 years. I know you had a distributor on not long ago um, from the Northwest. He's probably been doing this. Oh, Heath. Heath yeah, Chapman. Yeah. For you know, 15 plus years. And he's probably seen a lot more of a trajectory of how this industry has changed over the last several years. And it's really sad to see it. Maybe we took advantage of it a little bit too much back in like the early 2000s. Nonetheless, to see this much of a decline in an area where real estate is only going up, coffee's going up, food's going up, everything else is going up. But why is the healthcare going down? And that's the scarcity where like I have this inflection point why I start other businesses as well is because like I can't be in a declining marketing. Like that, that's where it just doesn't make sense for me as a, as a business owner is like if I'm an investor looking at this overall business is like, well, where is the run rate of growth? Well, um, investor, this is declining right now at 15, 20% every year because these implant prices or these uh, instruments are just not being compensated for at the hospitals at the same, at the same rate it was three years ago, which, you know, it's hard to build a business model that makes sense off that. A hundred percent, man. And, and again, like, um, you know, for me, I'm, I, I identify mainly as a marketing and sales guy, but like, if I had to place my bets, I place my bets any day on somebody who's like a mediocre marketer and salesperson, but they have a great market versus somebody who's great at those things. And they have like an okay market. Like the, the market just dictates so much. Even, I mean, look, everybody's favorite med tech story, which is intuitive surgical. When I talk to the guys who are like the highest up in intuitive surgical in the early days, like VP of worldwide, worldwide sales, v, you know, uh, CMO, et cetera, all of them say the same thing, which was like, the pull of the market was kind of like a big reason why intuitive became who they were, you know? Um, but I will say like, there's something, if we, if we, if we go out of med device and just look at med tech and like medicine in general, I think it's a really good place to be in right now because again, uh, 20% of our GDP is spent on healthcare and, 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 and medicine. It's like uh $3 trillion. It's growing four to 5% every year. And so if you have these massive strategics like Microsoft, Apple, Google, 
who have a fiduciary responsibility to grow, Apple's not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, we're going to start making furniture. There's a reason why they're all like looking into healthcare. But I think also because of TikTok, Instagram, there's this uh, phenomenon happening. And we can credit like Andrew Huberman and Peter T and these people as making more popular, which is people getting more into consumer, you know, consumer uh, based healthcare, right? So like biohacking on the sleep side, uh, Whoop. Whoop is valued at like seven, $8 billion right now. And everybody thought a while back, they're like, oh, this is like a low tech version of the Apple Watch. Why would it work? Well, it does, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, don't get, um, don't get turned away from healthcare just because of some of the things we've talked about with where it's going. There's a component that if you are in the healthcare space to take note of that understanding how critical your body is by understanding all the diseases out there and what you're seeing from being exposed to the operating room, all the different diseases out there will allow you to become like a better overall human being for yourself. So I say that like I took that as like my competitive advantage of like being in the space by understanding, you know, all the brain tumors I saw, all the different facial reconstructive surgeries I saw, all the spine surgeries I saw made me like, okay, I need to stretch more. I need better quality sleep. I need better nutrition. I don't want to have, you know, colon cancer if I um, have a lot of diseases in my body right now. Like, you know, all these things started playing a factor that if you understand this space really well, it can make you a better person on the outside. And that's why I'm all into like my weird, you know, biohacking things of cold plunging, saunaing, mouth taping, you know, these, these funky things that like, you know, served a small niche of people, but it's, it's allowed me to become that because of all the diseases that I've seen throughout healthcare. A hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Look, I'm, it's been a blast. Definitely got to have you back on, but just kind of wrap up. I want to do some quick, like rapid fire questions, kind of fun. Yeah. So first one is like, uh, what, you know, you mentioned one before, but it, it could be a different one. Um, uh, what's a book that you feel like you, you gift or recommend most often? It doesn't have to be on business and be in anything. Yeah, it probably be this book um, called Vivid Vision. I love this. I actually have a tattoo of it on my on my uh, arm. Vivid Vision is awesome. Um, it's written by Cameron Harold, who really talks about how to reverse engineer your three year dream. So you know, we all have a vision that we want to go accomplish, and how vivid that can become is something that's going to dictate you know how you're going to get there. And I think three years is a true metric that you can really put set forth because five is a little bit too long. Sometimes one is too short. And he talks about just how to reverse engineer that. And I remember, I remember read, reading that where I was 25 at the time, 26 at the time. And I purely just wanted to know that like, I wasn't going to just be running around in Los Angeles in my car the rest of my life. I wanted to get more leverage out of my life. And I just drew this whole map out of what I wanted to go and, uh, create out of my business and out of my life and allowed me to go do so. Fantastic. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I know about that book. I might have even bought it, but I, I need to read it. So that's a good, that's a good prompt for me to read it. Um, do you recommend reading it or listening to it? You know, I like I like reading it and taking notes, um, unless it's the voice of the author, not this robotic person on Audible. Um, that's the only way I can listen to stuff. Yeah, no, I'm 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 with you on that. I'm with you on that. Okay. Um, second thing is, you know, look. So on in the biohacking world, this is actually the first time I'm asking this question because I don't have a lot of people come on who at least are self self confess that they're they're like biohackers like me. Um, Better mouth tape, I, I love and everything. But outside of your own product, like what's a what's a cool biohacking product that you that you really like a lot? Um, I would say there's two. And I'm gonna I'm, hold on. I'm gonna limit it to to something that somebody that people most of the people listening can buy. So we can't like infrared sauna and ice ice uh, ice bath can't be one of those things. Although like that would be my go to. But yeah, something that's like less than a hundred bucks. Less than a hundred bucks. 
Um, oof, that's tough. So let me come back to that. Or if it's more than a hundred bucks, so yeah, we're gonna okay. We'll come. We'll come back to that. Um, what's um, what's like for those who are interested in like just optimizing their sleep, uh, taping their mouth. I wholeheartedly agree. And again, like you don't have to use Sam's product, although I recommend it. You can just start with some regular 3M tape, although you'll run into the same issue I had, which is at some point at night, it'll come off. Um, but taping the mouth is one thing. What's, what's a, what are some key things that you recommend people that it's like, hey, if you want to get optimal sleep, like do these things. Do you have a couple of things that you can give us tips? Yeah, I think big one, even like let's say you don't want a mouth tape, is no blue light before you go to bed and like you're properly hydrated. Um, the blue light, I, I kid you not, I notice a huge difference. It like depletes my body. Um, I'm feeling when you say blue light, you're talking about like TV, computer, etc. Yeah, and that's hard, especially in our industry, because we want to check all our emails at night before we go to bed and social media. But these are all like these are all things that are really destructing our attention spans and destructing our physical body in a way that's allowing us to grow properly. Um, there's so much data behind the stress that all the blue lights putting on you when you're going to bed. So if you can just remove that for the last hour, um, when you go to bed and then like the hour when you wake up. So I wake up around like four 35 and I, I cold plunge and do no cell phone until like five 30. Um, cause no one's going to call me around that time anyways. That's like my rhythm and cadence. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with that. And again, even me, like, um, it's funny, like during the week, my recovery and sleep is just phenomenal lately. But on the weekends, like it'll get into yellow. And part of the reason why is that at night I decide I'm like, oh yeah, let me let me just like play around on my phone, look at social media. It's just a terrible idea. It's just yeah. so bad. And even even like I remember like a few weeks ago, like you don't realize how subtle uh, this can impact you. Like a few weeks ago, um, I remember it was like I usually go try and get into bed at like nine 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 thirty. I remember like at eight o'clock, I was I was doing something and I was gonna look at my phone. I was like, ah, whatever. And I opened Instagram for one second, and I li- I remember I watched one thing, which was like some uh, video from this insane channel called Nature is Metal. If you're into wildlife, but like really messed up parts of it, like Nature is Metal is one thing. Is you know, and it was, it showed like uh, I don't know some lions hunting something. It was pretty brutal. And I just watched that like for a second, and I and I went to bed. And the next day, my my recovery, like I woke up so many times, and I was so bad. I was like, why is that? I'm like, oh, you know why? It's like subconscious. Like I saw this kind of like graphic thing on Instagram for just a little bit of it. And that was the last thing I saw before I went to bed. And so it does have a great, I, I don't know. I think like these these things that we mentioned for, for better sleep, it's simple, but it's not easy. Like it's a simple thing. Like don't look at your email. Don't look at your phone an hour before bed, but it's not easy. But I think it's a it's such an important thing, yeah. you know? Um, going back to a $100 item, I just forgot, but I realized uh, something I do i do it like three times a week i'll be honest and i have no affiliation with them but i use this company called uh, queen of thrones and it's, uh it's castor oil on a pack that you put on your liver and again not many people know about this but queen really- of thrones i don't know about this this, yeah. is, this is queen of thrones okay yeah. it's putting castor oil and it's like the type of castor oil that you're getting it's, it's this high quality glass and if you're able to put that on your liver when you go to bed, it's so good for your hormones. It's really good for inflammation and leaky gut, really good for constipation, all these different things that have high values, your overall health from just using castor oil. Um, I love doing that just a couple times a week. Interesting. I'm looking at it right now. So essentially you buy this this thing. It looks like a, a really large um, eye blindfold and you coat it with castor oil and it's essentially you have some dermal absorption. Yep. Interesting. I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you what, like before we sign, like 
so one thing that I've really been, uh, I've gotten into, and I, this is just kind of like on my own, I thought about this. The largest organ in your body is your skin. And your skin is like a living thing. Like it absorbs things. And so I start like, I, I remember someone set, uh, post about this. I'm like, that's a really good point, which is like, if you would not eat it, why would you put it on your skin? And I was like, that's a really good. So I do when I go out rare occasions, I'll put on a little bit of like natural sunscreen because like, you know, I, I don't, you know, I want to age gracefully, but in general, like lotion, I stopped using lotion. Now I, I usually, I usually use um, tallow or like coconut oil or something like, like literally coconut oil from the store, yeah. you know? But I think like this whole, this, this other concept, I think this is going to be a new thing for people is like, what are the kind of things you put on your skin that gets absorbed into your body? And so this is, this one, I'll have to check it out for those who are interested. You can go to, uh, shopqueenofthrones.com and again no affiliation neither of us you know but that's a good one i like that i like that awesome sam before we sign off uh, where can people find you um so my social media handles are is the sam mood and then i'm on linkedin again my name is sam mood m-a-h-m-o-o-d if you have any questions shoot me a message and i'm happy to respond to anything you guys might have perfect perfect and again for those who are interested again uh I have no affiliation with it. I just really like the product. I think it's fantastic. Give it a try. Go check out bettermouthtape.com. Um, and if you want, you know, maybe kind of a lo very low, easy way to get into it first is like just find some regular medical tape at home and try, try it out yourself and see how you sleep overnight. That being said, everybody, this has been another episode of The State of MedTech. I'm your host, Omar Khatib, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of The State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show, or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.